Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, inspire, and encourage. Up next is former United States Secret Service agent, Reginald Ball. Reggie began his career in the Secret Service conducting investigations involving check forgeries, counterfeits of U.S. currency, and threats directed at the President, Vice President, and former Presidents of the United States. In 1985, Reggie Ball was transferred to the presidential protection details for President Ronald Reagan and Bush Sr. Reggie's stories are endless and captivating as he revisits his career path. For more stories, sit back, relax, and get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Welcome back to Write It Down. I'm your host, Brooke Murata, on the phone with Reggie Ball. Reggie, um, I cannot wait to just introduce everything about you. Um, For starters... 1975 to 1997, you worked within criminal investigation, Secret Service, um, worked with various presidents of the United States, um, protecting others. Um, I'm just so excited to to introduce you. Reggie, two questions to start off with. How did you get such a cool name like Reggie Ball? Like, what the (laughs) heck? That is such a sound awesome name, like Reggie Ball, Ball for Life, Ballin'. I trust you already, number one. Number two, how does someone get into the Secret Service um, for the United States of America and and just work alongside such notable people? Well, let me, let me, first of all, let me say thank you for having me, uh, Brooke. Uh, I'm excited to be on your show. that's a that's a really good question when it, when you talk about how do I get in. But before we start, can I say one thing? Yes, I'd like to say to to all the men and women in in uniform in the military, to all the law enforcement officers, EMTs, healthcare workers. You know, thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just wanted to say that. I got in the Secret Service. It, the interesting thing is, I was never interested in law enforcement growing up and my first contact with the secret service was i was in the seventh grade 12 years old and i saw the assassination of president john f kennedy november 22nd 1963 Hmm. and during that that assassination there was a, a video of an agent running to jump on back of the limousine as they raced away once President Kennedy was shot. And that was my first first visual of Secret Service. Still didn't know anything about it. So my whole goal growing up was I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Oh, wow. You know, never wanted to be in law enforcement. That was not anything on my radar. And so I played baseball growing up, played baseball in high school, played baseball in college, University of Michigan, was never on scholarship. And after my senior year, I uh, I ran out of money and I was a few credits short of graduating. And I tried to figure out what is it that I wanna do? And believe it or not, I'm on campus, I'm walking down one of the main streets in campus. And for the first time, I happened to make contact, eye contact with a police officer. Trust me now, I never thought about being in law enforcement because when I was in college, this was back during the, uh, we have what's called the BAM strike at University of Michigan, Black Action Movement, and they were trying to increase the uh, black enrollment at the university. And my roommate's brother actually had got beaten up by the police as he was a protester. So I was not thinking about law enforcement, but again, I'm on campus, you know, I'm out of money, dropped out of school. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And I can make eye contact with this police officer. And I go, hmm, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll try that. <laughs> and uh, so I saw a guy writing parking tickets. I thought he was a police officer. And I asked him, I said, what does it take to get on the department? But he told me, you know, you go to a city hall and, you know, you fill out an application. And so I never talked to anybody about this. I, I went to a city hall, filled out an application, took a test, passed, and before you know it, I'm in a police academy. Wow. With Ann Arbor Police Department. So I'm on there. This is 1973. I was on the police department. And I happened to work a detail, a traffic detail, that involved the Secret Service. 
And they had a foreign dignitary in town, and my job was to stop traffic and help the motorcade get into an underground tunnel. And while they were in the underground tunnel, I was supposed to help secure their motorcade. And I see these guys in, you know, suits, trench coats, got the things in their ear, the microphones, sunglasses. I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool looking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in uniform. And a couple of the agents walk up to me and say, hey, you know, introduce themselves and say, hey, you ever thought about Secret Service? I go, nope, I like being a cop. And I said, well, you should think about it. I said, nah, nah, I, I like being a police officer. Say, well, here's our card in case anything changes, you know, give us a call. And it just so happens that me and my partner, the name was Steve Hill, we were both single, and there were two positions that came open on the uh, on the narcotic squad. We were perfect for the position, and we didn't get it. And I was so pissed off. I go, the heck with this. I pulled out that card, and I called this guy in the Secret Service, and I said, hey, I'm interested. Well, during that time, Brooke, I had actually got, got back into school okay, because I had a job, had some money, and uh, I you know, wanted to go back and get my degree because I promised my mom I would do it. And as I'm finishing up my degree, I applied to the Secret Service. Never thought I would ever get hired. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Especially because uh, you were just turned is, down. Yeah, I, I turned it down. You know, I'm, I'm in my yeah. second year in the part, police department. I'm like, I'm not interested in Secret Service, but I did it on a whim because I was mad that I didn't get this this position on the police department. And uh, I finished up my degree, and I, I you know, call the guy Secret Service. I go down to the federal building in Detroit, fill out the application. I take the test, pass the test, and uh, next thing you know, they're they're doing my background investigation. The reason I know because all my references are calling me up, saying, "Hey, man, the Secret Service is here asking about you." You know, my teachers from high school called me up and said, "Hey, they were here asking about you." Wow. And uh, so I'm, it, I, it was a Thursday night. I'm in my apartment, I'm eating a pizza, and I get a phone call, and this, his name was Wesley Bishop. He was the head of personnel for Secret Service. And I said, hey, just want to let you know, you've been hired. I'm like, hired what? <laughs> Be a Secret Service agent. I go, really? He goes, yeah. He says, and you, we want you to start on Monday in the Detroit office as an investigator. I said, well, I can't be there on Monday because I have to give my job two weeks notice. And he says, you either be there Monday or forget it. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be there. I hang up the phone. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? So my captain of the police department, and it was Tom Minnick. I called Captain Minnick up, and he goes, hey, Reg, what's going on? I said, well, good news, bad news. He said, what's going on? I said, well, good news is I've been hired by Secret Service. Bad news is I can't give two weeks notice. He said, come in tomorrow morning. We'll figure it out. So I go the next day, Friday morning, I go in, sit at his desk. He said, fill out your resignation, and then you're going to take two weeks of vacation starting on Monday. Oh, that's a good idea. And, wow. Yep, and that's what I did. Brilliant. And I walked, yep, I walked the beat that day, came back in, turned in my equipment, and I left. And that started my journey in the Secret Service, wow. 1975, and I started in the Detroit field office. Wow. Okay, so Detroit. So Detroit, you were, you were a private investigator in Detroit, and then how long were you there? And then what was the transition to get more into the presidential realm? So what did the okay. the shift look like, and what did the job details look like? Okay, so there's two sides of the Secret Service. There's the investigative side, and then the protection side. Okay. So you start out as a criminal investigator. So my first seven years on the job in Detroit. I was a criminal investigator. So I, I investigated uh, check fraud. So if someone back in the day, everybody used to get a, a paper check for, let's say, tax refund check mm-hmm. or, or a Social Security check. Well, the check thieves knew on the first and third of the month was check day. And they would steal checks out of mailboxes. They would steal checks out of the uh, mail trucks. So if you didn't receive your tax refund check, you fill out what's called an app, uh, 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 a claim form saying that I did not receive my check. They would then go back into the system and they could see that your check was actually delivered three months ago. Mm. So on their claim form, you would answer some questions and they would send you another check. And in the interim, they would find the check that was cashed and they would send that check to the appropriate field office. 
And on the back of the check, it would show where the check was cashed. So that's how you start the investigation. You go back to the store, to the bank. You know, you could get the uh, the film. You could see who cashed your check. And eventually, we would investigate that case. Okay. Okay. So I did that for three years. I then started working counterfeit cases, counterfeit money cases, because the Secret Service back when I was there was part of the Treasury Department. Okay. So I did that for for two years, and then I worked threat cases, what's called protective intelligence cases, because in every city, every district, you have these threat cases. People actually call, they write, and they threaten to kill the president. Wow. So those cases are referred to the field office. So I did that for my first seven years I did investigations. Um, I then went to what's called the counter-assault team in D.C., which is like a SWAT team. So I did that for three years. And then in 1985, I transferred to the White House. I was on President Reagan's detail. So I covered President Reagan's last three and a half years in the White House. And in 1989, when Bush Sr. became president, I was on his detail for another six months. And that took care of my four-year assignment on the president's detail. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm in awe. That is insane. Yep. And then I transferred back from the president's detail back to Detroit. And I was a supervisor, um, and I supervised credit card fraud squad. I supervised the counterfeit squad, and I supervised the protective intelligence squad. Um, and that took care of my 20-something years in the Secret Service. Wow. Okay. Um, that I just, like, first of all, have to say you're probably the coolest person I've ever met in my life. And I'm <laughs> no like, envision- no, I'm envisioning you telling this story. I'm like, your story could be a movie. I just want to put that out there that you're, st- I'm sure your, your um, path is not like, it is unique to you, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that were in the secret service that um, have a cool path like that, that you land, a, I mean, to be on the force to protect the president is insane they need to make a movie for you guys because this is so interesting to me okay i have like a ton of like little questions throughout that i have just thought of um but one is how how vigilant do you have to be in this job like are you having to like watch yourself when you sleep is it that level of scary is there enough people that are like taking shifts like what does that kind of look like and are you scared to go to bed at night or are you just kind of numb to it because it's your job you know it's uh it's, it's not that you want to take it take it for granted but you know you look at it as a job and you don't realize the excitement of it until you talk to people who've never been in the secret service and <laughs> Yeah, and the and the and the, and the, and the you know the questions and you know one of the one of the questions I used to always get was uh, I started doing career days. I used to go to high schools and talk about Secret Service and stuff. And you know you go to these career fairs and you know people would ask you questions. And invariably the question would always come up is, would you take a bullet for the president? And I would always say yes. And they would say, well, you don't even know the guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's not he's not your dad. He's not your brother. He's not he's not your friend. Why would you take a bullet for somebody that you don't know and trying to get people to understand? That was our job. That was my job. That was what we were trained for. Mm-hmm. So I would invariably ask them a question. Just I would ask you the same question, Brooke. If you were in your house and you woke up and your house was on fire, you were trapped up in your bedroom. You couldn't escape. And the fire truck pulls up. And you can look out your window and you're screaming, you know, help me, help me. And you make eye contact with that fireman on the street. I said, do you expect him to come and try to save you? And what would your answer be? Yes. My responsibility was, why should he risk his life for yours? He doesn't know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your responsibility is, well, that's his job. Yes. That's what he's trained for. And that's that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. We're trained as agents. We're trained to to step in front of the president or to take a bullet or a knife or whatever. That's what you're trained for. And you don't think twice about it. Mm. Wow. Would you, would you say that with that being said, is it hard when somebody is in office that you might not agree with politically? Like, do you kind of have to lay aside the, 
the American right sort of sort of I don't know if that's the way to phrase it. But no, yeah, you're, you're, do, do you have to kind of put aside your own political views in order to protect you, somebody in that role? You have to be apolitical. Yeah. The Secret Service, the Secret Service, they don't protect Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. They don't protect Obama. They didn't protect they don't protect Donald Trump. They protect the office of the president. OK. Doesn't matter who occupies a position. Yeah. Your job is to protect that office, and you have to be apolitical. You can't get caught up in politics. Mm. You can't get caught up in their views. Yeah, is is it difficult? Yeah, but but that's why that's why you don't hire somebody. Somebody doesn't hire the Secret Service first day and go to the president's detail. You have to have time on the job. I'm sure you have to cut your teeth. You have to get some experience because, yeah, you have to be apolitical, and you have to drown out all the noise. Yeah to do your job and stuff. So yeah, you, you have to be apolitical. And I'm not saying that some agents don't get caught up in politics. I'm, I'm sure that they do, but right. you know, you have to come into to the position knowing that you don't get caught up in the, in the politics. Right. Is there something yeah. that you have to kind of train your brain to do to flag other secret service members that might not have the best intentions, whether you're working the presidential detail or you're working, you know, um, just as a private investigator or a police officer, whatever in law enforcement, are you kind of trained as like, I, I hate to pin people against each other, but like good cop, bad cop. Like you hear like there's corruption even in, you know, um, the law enforcement. So for you being a good man that like prizes your job and then you take pride in who you're protecting, were you able to spot out other people's bad intentions within your field? Yes. So, so the, to answer that, you're always going to have, uh, you know, bad apples and stuff. Right. And and once they're identified, somehow they're they're no longer part of that detail. Let me put it that way. Yeah. They may be transferred out, you know, back to the field, mm-hmm. um, because the Secret Service is all about teamwork. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you have to you have to have a good team. You have to be able to rely on your teammates in order to do the job. And so, being on a president—that's why everybody doesn't get to go to the president's detail. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't get to go to the vice president's detail. Some agents never get to protection, permanent protection details. Um, it's a very very small agency. It's a very elite agency. And so, to be selected to to be part of that, it, it truly is an honor. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, growing up, if someone had told me when I was a young kid that, you know, one day I'd be flying on Air Force One, I'd be going to Camp David, you know, I'd be traveling the world, you know, working out of the White House, I, I'd say you're crazy. Yeah. Because you, you want to be a baseball player. I want to be a baseball player. Now you're over here, like, <laughs> defending the president. Shoot. Yeah. This yeah, is so. That is insane. Like, my... I. I'm having a hard time putting into words how just impressed I am with with your life and what you do, because most of my questions are coming from um, perception of like Hollywood and movies. Right. So I'm over here asking you, like, how do you know if there's someone bad? Because like every movie like you're watching, you know, in law enforcement, there's always like that bad cop. And it like at us as an audience can spot it out. And we're like, oh. He's horrible because we're seeing the behind the scenes of them being shady. But like you're a real life um, you know, secret service agent. And so you're in real time walking through this. And now you're talking about this hindsight to be able to just kind of give us the overview of what this job would look like and the honor that it is and how elite you have to be. Another question I have for you. And, mm-hmm. and again, if I'm asking any questions that is too sensitive, you can totally divert it and just be like, girl on to the next. But with like um, the presidential, um, sorry, Secret Service with the president, are you like sleeping at the White House? Is there like different shifts? Are you having to be awake like for long stretches of time? I mean, I imagine that it's a lot of hustle as well because I can't imagine the president even sleeps, but I'm also never been to the White House. <laughs> so what does that look like? So when I transferred to, to D.C., you know, nobody, none of the agents sleep at the White House. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I lived in my first year there. I lived in, in uh, Annandale, Virginia. And then my last six years, I lived in Maryland. Um, when I went to the president detail, when you go to the president detail, your first 
basically your first year you're you're doing shift work so you work you know two weeks of days two weeks of afternoon two weeks of midnights and so you're rotating shifts all the time um and then part of that time you may do you may be part of an advanced team um and then i'll get into to what that's all about mm -hmm. um so my second year on on the present detail i worked in transportation meaning i either drove limo or i drove the follow-up or i would do motorcade advances and then your third and fourth year as a senior guy on the detail, you're doing more complex advances. You're doing more lead. As a matter of fact, my first lead advance that I did for President Reagan was in Melbourne, Florida. What? Where you're located at. Yeah, I was going to tell you that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is yeah. amazing. Number one, I was going to say, how did you know I was in Melbourne? Number two, that was dumb because you were in Secret Service. And I'm sure I either, <laughs> I either told you I was in Melbourne or you already yes. know more about me than I know about me. So that's fine, yes. too. It's part yep. of my job, you know, I have to realize. Okay, what? All right, keep going, keep going. Yep, so I did my first my first lead advance. It was in Melbourne, Florida. As, as a lead advance agent, so let, let me paint the picture for you so you understand what, the, what an advance is all about. So let's say, let's say the president's coming to Melbourne, Florida. Mm -hmm. So they, when I say they, the staff will determine what he's going to do when he gets to Melbourne, Florida. So you know he's going to land at the airport, so you have to have an agent that sets up all the security at the airport. Then let's say he's going to go to the convention center. Mm -hmm. So you have an agent assigned to do security at the convention center. Let's say he's going to stay overnight at a hotel. So you have an agent that does the security at the hotel. Uh, let's say he's going to go to a school or university and give a speech. So you have an agent that sets up security at the university. You then have to have an agent who sets up all the motorcade routes. So that's another part of your, your advanced team. You have to have an agent who coordinates any threat cases that, that come up. So you have to have an agent that coordinates that. Mm. So you have to have, that's your advanced team. And then as the lead, you set up, you're the overall advanced agent. You oversee the whole trip. Now, to come to Melbourne, Florida, you may have only six to seven days to put together that, that advance. Wow. And in that time period, each site agent has to come up with a manpower request to say, okay, at the convention center, you know, I need 25 agents. At the airport, I need 10 agents. At the hotel, I need 15 agents. At the university, I need 30 agents. So once you come up with a total number of agents that you need for that trip, then you send that manpower request back to headquarters, and then they, in turn, will send out a teletype requesting manpowers from different field offices. And those agents, so let's say you need 80 agents for that particular trip. Those agents come from the field offices. So every major city has a field office of agents for investigations, but they also help support the president's detail. So now those 80 agents come in. Now you have to make sure that you have hotels set up because they have to stay overnight. So you have to make sure all the reservations are taken care of, that they get in with no problem. And then you have to have a briefing that they come to maybe the night before and you brief them on their assignments because they have post assignments at those various locations. So it's a, it's a real coordinated yeah. effort. And I, so that's all done in six or seven days. Sheesh. Okay, okay, so when you say, like, agents, are you also, like, if you're coming to Melbourne, Florida, are you guys, like, contacting sheriff and police officers? Or, not? Yes. like, they have to be aware as well, right? Yes, yes, very good question. So besides Secret Service agents, you have to have local police, sheriff's department, state police, because you have to have, so let's say on the motorcade route from the airport to the hotel, for instance. So however long it takes to get from the airport to the hotel in Melbourne, Florida, you have to secure that motorcade route. Mm -hmm. So the overpasses, the the, uh, interest to the freeways are all blocked off. 
So that whole motorcade route is secure. So there's no stopping at the light. You don't, you, you just go. All the intersections are blocked off. Okay, all the overhead overpasses are blocked off. So there's no there's no traffic on that freeway when the president's moving. Wow. So you have a clean route from the airport to the hotel, and then any visit, any sites he's going to, all the motorcade routes are blocked off. So nobody's moving. So when it comes to uh, traveling internationally, so yes. are you guys doing that times a million if you're going to like Russia or Croatia or anywhere? Yes. I mean, Europe. Yes. I mean, it could be anywhere. Are you like doing that to the 10th power type of thing? Yes. Yes. It's it's even more intense on foreign travel, yeah. foreign advances and stuff. Okay. Because you work through the U.S. embassy. Um, but it's still, you bring agents from the United States. Once you get overseas and you figure out how many manpower, how many out, uh, agents you need, then those agents are flown in. Mm-hmm. And you do the same thing. Gosh. There's you depend so much. on the military. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, and military. I didn't even think of that. So, I mean, yeah. you're think, I'm thinking like even Coast Guard and, and things like that. Okay, so here's that's here's good, another. Let me, no, that's a good. That's a that's a that's a that's a good question because, in 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 doing your job, if you need as a lead advance agent, if you need military assets, then you go to the military aid's office and you tell them, okay, I need a I need a, a helicopter, so the army might provide a helicopter. I need a coast guard cutter, mm-hmm. whatever assets you need to protect the president you get those assets it's, it's provided to you gosh that is that is intense but i mean obviously needed we're going to take a quick break to discuss write it down's brand new website you can head over to widpod.com w-i-d-p-o-d.com and see all the goods you'll notice a banner at the top of the page that says learn more if you click that link it'll show you how you can support write it down P.S. My favorite part about the website is the Wid Wall, which is a collection of all the write-it-downs from the show. This podcast is made possible by the 1513 Network. So show the network some love and support by listening to their other shows. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Now, back to the show. My next question is, so I interview a lot of athletes, so my brain's kind of going to the to the athletic world. You know when mm-hmm. you're a coach, let's say, okay, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, so they watch film, right? They watch their opponent's film. Are you having to be aware of other people's, like not people's, that's, that's a loose term, other countries, I should say, um, other countries' defense when you go there? So you know that, you know, let's say England has – this sort of a certain sort of military and who you're up against. But then if you go to, I don't know, Japan, they have a totally different set. Are you kind of studying quote unquote, the opponent and how they run their uh, protection agency? <laughs> so, uh, yes. And, and, and let me just say, yes, you, okay. you're very aware of what goes on in other countries and stuff. Gosh, maybe I okay. should work in the Secret Service. I'm just kidding. I can't. I said this earlier. I can't work in Secret Service because I can't keep a secret. So yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, we, we talked briefly about this and in, in, in before the show, but just about how much trust you have to have. You have to build that trust. You, the president or whoever, we're talking specifically about your time with um, yeah. the president, but you have to be a trustworthy person to know that if you're kind of a fly on the wall, cause I'm sure you're a fly on the wall in a lot of conversations and yes. in your, in your detail that you have to like keep your mouth shut. I'd be like, that's why yes. I couldn't be a doctor either. Cause a HIPAA HIPAA would ruin me. Cause I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I just saw my patient at Walmart and they struggle with this, 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 and this, but not because I'm malicious, but because I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So it's a very good thing. That I was never in secret service, but or going you have to, to be, be very. You have to be very aware. Perfect example when I uh, when President Reagan went to uh, Japan, mm-hmm. um, and I was I was you know, I was driving a limo. So inside that limo, yeah, you you hear all his conversations. Yeah, 
you know, and he's in there with, with other dignitaries and stuff. And you have to be, yeah, you, you hear everything, but again, you, you're worthy of trust and confidence. You don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. But when he went to Tokyo, I mean, I think, I think they had over 40,000 police officers from Japan to support the president's visit because they don't want anything to happen in their country. Just like when a foreign official comes to our country mm-hmm. that that's provided secret service protection, we don't want anything to happen to them. Yeah. Wow. You know, so you extend that same, you know, courtesy to them when they come over here because we provide. So, for instance, Secret Service will provide protection details for a foreign head of state, a mm-hmm. king, a queen, a, uh, a prime minister. When they come over here, they get our protection. We provide details for them. Now, we work closely with their own uh, mm-hmm. protection details, but they're on our soil. So, yeah, we provide them a protection detail. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I'm just blown away. Okay, so my my next question would be, barring what you're allowed to share, what has been one of the coolest experiences that you've had that you're allowed to share in your in your detail with the president? I mean, is it like going to lunch with the queen? Like, what what does that like look like as like a cool experience? You're like, I am glad I got to do this in my life. So let me see. So there, there was a couple of situations um if you look at president reagan there was a speech when he was in uh in germany where he says mr gorbachev tear down this wall this is in front of the uh the berlin wall yeah. back back then and i was there for that particular visit Gosh, um, are you serious i yes. mean this is like things i studied in my history book because i was born in 95 which you probably already know because you probably know more about me but <laughs> Are you serious? You were there? Yeah, it was at, it's called the Brandenburg Gate, and he was in the front of there. Um, next to the Brandenburg Gate was a place called the Reichstag, which is like a like a museum. And uh, so I was the site agent at the at the Reichstag, and so on the back side of the Reichstag there was this balcony, and President Reagan wanted to stand on this balcony, and they wanted to get a photo a photo op of him looking out because you could see on the other side of the, the uh, Berlin wall at, at the top of this, uh, this balcony. The problem was, is on the other side of this wall was an East German gun tower. Okay. That was manned by the East Germans. Um, so we had to figure out a way to allow the president to stand on this balcony outside and make sure he's still protected and stuff. So, you know, we figured out a way to do that and he was able to get a photo op and and then he went in front of the Brandenburg Gate and gave this this great speech and, you know, Mr. Burchoff tear down this wall. So, you know, I was there for that. Um, when Gorbachev came to the United States, uh, one of the things that he did is he got out of his motorcade on Connecticut Avenue to mix and mingle with the American people. And uh, there was a huge photo op of him and so when President Reagan went to Russia, you know, we did. He did the same thing. He did a walk down one of the main streets in in, uh, in Moscow, because he didn't want to be outdone, you know. So he got a great photo op of him and Mrs. Reagan walking down the street. You know, we're surrounding him, and then we got the KGB surrounding us as he's walking down down the street and stuff. So um, that was pretty interesting oh to be part of that. Pretty interesting, uh, I'd say. You know, when when uh, when Bush, President Bush came into office uh, and you know how you see on the inauguration, you always see the president coming down Pennsylvania Avenue and you'll see them get out of the car and they walk down down the street. So I was part of President Bush's inauguration and, you know, he got out of the vehicle and he walked down Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, but that particular weekend, his mom, who was an invalid, was in town for the inauguration. And they assigned this Air Force, I think, sergeant to assign to his mom while she was there. So on that Sunday, um, and this is really interesting. So that Sunday, when she was leaving, the president was in this called the diplomatic room. And they were waiting for transportation to take his mom to the airport so understand something Brooke. here you have this air force sergeant he's in a diplomatic room with the president's mom 
president's in there, other people, staff people, I'm in there with the with the uh, with the president. And he took the time to go over and thank this Air Force sergeant for taking care of his mom. And he grabs him around the shoulder. He said, hey, let's get a picture together. And here you got this this Air Force sergeant. He stiffens up because you got the commander chief put his arm around him, say, somebody get a camera, let's take a picture. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, that here you got the most powerful man in the world taking time to thank this Air Force sergeant for taking care of his mother. Wow. And I thought that was one of the coolest thing I'd seen in my four years at the White House. That is that is cool. And that those are those are moments that need to be, I think, highlighted, especially when it comes to I mean, me just as a civilian and, you know, a young adult learning about my country and learning about, you know, how important it is even just to vote and to be a part of we're a part of something big here, especially in the United yeah. States. And so when you hear a story like that, to know that, you know, these are these are at the at the basic level. We're just humans. So you saw a very loving human approach in your yes. time, you know. And I'm over here like, wait, yeah. did you get tea with Queen Elizabeth? And you're like, no, I saw <laughs> I saw something better. But I I think that's really cool to that that is exactly where your your heart and your mind goes because it it if I was president, I would want someone like you to protect me that has, you know, an eye for, for the heart of people, because at the end of the day, you have to have a heart for people. If you're going to go jump in front of a gun or, or sorry, a bullet for somebody. So that is incredible to me. Yeah, that was, you know, and again, uh, you know, that's something that you'll never read in a, in a, in a book, you know, Mm -hmm. that comes out about Bush senior. You won't see it in a magazine. It's just, Something that that I saw, I mean, my four years there, I took that away with me, like, that he took that time. Yeah. You know, when I left the White House uh, in 1992, there was the uh, the presidential campaign where, you know, Clinton was running against against George Bush Sr. But there were other candidates that were in the race at the time. There was there was a senator from Massachusetts named Paul Songus. And. so Paul Songus, so let, let me backtrack. The the candidates back then, they would get Secret Service protection, but it was made up from agents from the field offices, okay? And they would give them what's called temporary details. And Paul Songus, uh, early part of uh, March 1992, uh, I was assigned to Paul Songus. I was his detail leader. And... Uh, so he was campaigning, and so we had a detail, myself, and we had an assistant detail leader named Charlie Monahan out of the Boston field office, and then we had various agents from other field offices, and we were his detail for three weeks. And we were running, we were traveling to, to Ann Arbor, as a matter of fact, University of Michigan, and prior to going there, he was on the tarmac in Illinois on a football, and he pulled a calf muscle or hamstring and he was limping very badly. So we landed in uh, Ann Arbor, uh, local airport, and we were traveling to uh, the student union. And in the limo, Mr. Song is saying, hey, Reggie, he says, what's with this, what's, what's with this Fab Five thing? And I said, well, it's, you know, five freshman basketball players at the University of Michigan. You know, he said, we don't have anything like that in, in, uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, so this is when, you know, Jalen Rose and Chris Weber and uh, I can't remember the other guys on the team, but, you know, the five, the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. So we get to the student union and he goes into this ballroom and he, uh, he gives a speech. And then leaving, he wanted to stop in front of the student union because there was a plaque on the wall. Oh, John F. Kennedy from 1960. He wanted to see this plaque. But he was limping so bad, so I told the rest of our detail, I said, look, let's get a tight circle around him so people can't really see him limping. And as we come out to the front of the student union, there's all these students in front of the uh, front of the union and stuff. And he comes out, and uh, he leans over to look at this plaque. He's standing on these steps, and he almost falls. So, so I grab him. I say, I got you. I have you. I got you. It's okay. So now he stands in front and he's giving this, this, this speech to these kids. 
And in doing so, he's he's on a, like he's on the second step. I'm a little bit lower, so I'm but I'm holding on to him so he doesn't fall. And he's giving his speech. He's he's making these gestures with his hands, and he pokes me in the eye with his hand. Okay. Oh, and uh, yeah, and he looks at me and he he grabs me, gives me this hug, and he goes, "Hey, you know," he says. I almost fell off these stairs. He said, but your alumni, Reggie Ball, saved me. Let's hear it for Reggie. And these kids are going, Reggie, Reggie, Reggie. He goes, hey, I'm the candidate, not him. (laughs) 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 He gives me me this bear hug around my head and stuff, and I'm trying not to laugh, so I have to kind of duck behind him so they don't see me laughing and stuff, you know? And... uh, so yeah, and so it was, it was so funny. But anyway, so we we end up going to uh, to, to Florida. And the interesting thing about Senator Song is he was such a caring, loving person. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had three daughters, and his youngest daughter name was Molly. I used to call her Good Golly Miss Molly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and on his charter flight, I used to show her how to dip cookies in milk. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but anyways, we get to we get to Palm Beach, Florida, and he goes to a private fundraiser at this residence. And uh, as we get ready to leave, the uh, the police department, they were providing us, you know, motorcycle escorts and stuff. So they go out ahead of time about two or three minutes before we depart this residence to go to the next location. So as we depart, Brooke, we go through this intersection and we can see that one of the police officers on his motorcycle had been hit by a, a car. And the motorcycle was in the street, and the police officer was laying on the sidewalk. And uh, he wanted to stop. I said, no, let's keep going so we can find out what happened. We get to the next, by the time we get to the next location, we find out that the police officer had died. Okay. And Senator Songus, as he was giving the speech, he says, Reggie, this, this isn't right. So he tells people, he said, look, uh, Someone was hurt protecting me. I don't feel good about doing a speech, you know. So say a prayer, and then we leave. And by the time we get to the next location, we find out that he had passed away. Mm. So he said, look, I want to go back for the funeral. And he did. A couple of days later, he came, went back, spent the day there with the with the wife and his family for the funeral. And uh, I, I just, I, you know, again, he, he dropped out of the race after about three weeks, but the fact that he was so caring about people, okay? Yeah. And again, that's, you know, it's just something that you don't get to read about or see right. and stuff, but mm. just little things like that that uh, that I had a chance to see and stuff. So. Yeah, you had the privilege to see people's character behind the scenes, and you got yes. to see, you know, um, who they are outside of the spotlight. And that is something, granted, not that we have the same resume at all, but that is something I'm, I feel privileged enough to kind of be a part of with, with any of the guests that I have, I get to kind of see them behind the scenes, you know, not in their, their spotlight or, um, so to speak. So it it is an honor to be able to see somebody, um, you know, be put their pants on the same way we do and see how they do it. And and there's something really, um, just that humanizes people and takes people off a pedestal, but not in a bad way, but just like, Oh, you're a person too. And you have ethics and beliefs and you treat people the way that you want to be treated. And so I, I'm, I can imagine being, um, in a, in a job field that you were in that that meant more to you because you are putting your life out there for others. And so to be able to see, Oh, that's some good character I'm protecting. That's, that's, that's amazing to be able to see that. Um, I do have a question involving, um, the topic of race in in a sense and, and nothing too touchy or whatever, but is there, um, is that kind of like, let me put it this way. So you think about the Olympics, right? And if there's mm-hmm. two teams that, that play against each other in the States, two basketball teams, you know, I'll just pick uh, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. Okay. So they're, let's say they're not on the same team in the United States, but then they have to be on the same team when it comes to competing in the Olympics. Is that kind of how it was when there was some um, political and racial unrest when you started out in this field where there are dynamics going on racially, but then when you step into law enforcement, you kind of have to put that aside because you're on the same team. Is that a thing? Is there a shift that occurs? Yes. 
yeah. So in the in the sixties, when I was in uh, high school, going into college, um, this is when they had the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So you know, so many people in the United States was against the Vietnam War. So there was a lot of protest on college campuses. You know, um, so yeah, I, racial tension. Yeah, in nineteen sixty seven. Um, you know, we had the uh, riots in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was my first time where I saw National Guardsmen on every street corner uh, with, with rifles and bayonets. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we had, you know, we had curfew. I think their curfew was eight o'clock at night until five in the morning. You couldn't even be on your, on your front porch. Wow. You had to be in the house and stuff. You know, and then to get to college, and like I said, we had the, the Black Action Movement. Um, so there was a lot of college, you know, protest on college campuses and stuff. So that's why I said I was never interested in law enforcement because of there was so much unrest. You know, and we know we had the Black Panthers back then mm-hmm. um, that were very, very popular and stuff. And so a lot of clashes with, with the police, with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me to go into law enforcement was again was something that I had not envisioned. Um, and and even then, when I when I came on Secret Service, you know, they were still you know trying to hire more minorities. Yeah. Um, and it's just that way to this day. They're still trying to to you know more diversity. Right. Uh, more women, you know, uh, Asians, you know, blacks and stuff. Still trying to increase the, the numbers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's a battle that's fought to this day. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. So you know that's something that I was trying to do when I was a supervisor. I came back to Detroit. We had five young black agents in the Detroit office. And my boss, you know, said, look, regardless of what, what squad you're, you're, you're going to be in and what squad they're going to be in, they're always going to come to you for advice. And, and they did. And, and to this day, I got to tell you, Brooke, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I tried to mentor them as best I could, just like I was mentored by other agents. Mm-hmm. And each one of them went further in their careers than I did in mine. Wow. And uh, matter of fact, one of the guys is the second guy in charge of the Secret Service to this day. His name is Ferran Paramore. He's a deputy director. Wow. And I'm very proud of the fact that, that he, he's second guy in charge of the Secret Service. Wow. Um, so I think it's always important that, you know, that you reach back. You know, I, I used to always say that in order to enjoy your success, you have to share your success. Mm-hmm. And you share with the people that help get you there. So, you know, if you don't if you don't share your success with other people, then it's, it's very lonely. Yeah, it is lonely. It's lonely at the yeah. top if you don't have people yeah. around you. That yeah. is so cool that you have left your mark and a legacy on the Secret Service and that you can proudly say um, that you poured into others that are now in positions that you were in and even further. So it's it's really neat yeah. that you're that you're able to see that and you're able to see the fruit of things that you left behind, um, for people. Um, so is there, you say that you've spoken at like career days and things like that. Is there a one, like one way to get into secret service? Like the way that you did, it's the only way, like for me, if I want to be, you know, a a bartender somewhere, you kind of start as a hostess and you start as a server and then you move. So what's the, the progression to get into secret service of somebody who's listening right now is like, you know what? Reggie Ball just inspired me to want to be in the secret service. What are some (laughs) things that, that they could do in order to get there? First of all, stay out of trouble. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Be nice to your parents and friends, <laughs> right? Yeah. No. No criminal record. And yeah. and you know, I used to I used to think back when I was in, when I was growing up in high school and stuff. You know, and uh, you know, you come to that fork in the road in terms of friendships. You know, you can either go left or you can go right. And if you go left, that's the road you don't want to go on. You know. And I had one of my best friends in high school, and he started getting into trouble and stuff. And the route he was going, I know I didn't want to go that 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 route. Not knowing where I was going to do 10 years from then, but I just knew I didn't want to go down that road and stuff. And so I, I, I tell kids when I was doing uh, speeches, I thought, I said, what you do today is going to affect you 10 years from now. Yeah. You may not know it. I said, so, you know, you can't you can't have a criminal record in the Secret Service. Um, you don't have to have a, a, a law enforcement degree. You know, you do have to have a, a four-year college degree, 
But there's two sides of Secret Service. There's the, the agent side, the suits, but they also have a uniform side called UD, Uniform Division. And a lot of people can start out in Uniform Division. You're still part of the Secret Service, but you can finish your degree in Uniform Division and then cross over to become an agent. So the Uniform Division is a, is a great way to go because you're, you're in the system. Mm-hmm. You're in D.C. because they guard all the embassies. They guard the, the grounds of the White House. Um, and they're also the ones that, that man the metal detectors. So at every, at every visit, every site, you have metal detectors manned by the Uniform Division people. Um, so you have an opportunity to be part of the system. The pay is very good, mm-hmm. but you can also cross over once you get your degree and become an agent. So that's a, that's another route that you can go to be in the secret service and stuff, but you definitely have to have a a clean background and you know, the, uh, the background investigation is very, very thorough. Every, every place you've lived, every job you've had, they're going to go back and check your, they, they look at your credit, they make sure you pay your taxes. Um, and then every five years, once you're on every five years, they do an updated, background investigation to make sure you're paying your taxes and so forth that you you haven't had any arrest that they that you haven't reported to anybody and stuff um wow. but it's a very very fun career you do you know 25 years on and you can retire after 25 years you know i retired at the age of 46 oh, wow. when i retired and stuff but you know what's interesting is that i was the first i was the first secret service supervisor for hillary clinton oh, wow. and uh and then you know, it was interesting that uh, so when so when I left when when Paul Saunders dropped out of the race, they took our detail, and a few months later we were assigned to Mrs. Clinton because when Clinton was running for president, he had a detail, but she didn't because she would not get a detail until he became the nominee of the Democratic Party. Okay. So once it became obvious that he was going to be the nominee, then they reactivated. Songers is detailed. They put us on Mrs. Clinton. Okay. So I was with her for a few months and stuff, and uh, you know, and again, there there's a different side that we get to see of the protectees and stuff. And even though I was there just a few months with her, what's interesting is that when my mom, when my mother passed away in 1995, um, I got a letter from her. Wow with her condolences and and a, and a nice handwritten note from her. When I got ready to retire from the Secret Service, the uh, one of the guys in her detail, his name was Donnie Flynn. Donnie and I were actually her supervisors when, when he was running for president. Well, he no let her know that I was retiring, so she wanted to say goodbye to me. So uh, I ended up standing post in Chicago where she was going to be at along with the president, President uh, Clinton. And this is in 1997. And uh, they came, I was standing post, I think at a museum and stuff. And they came up to my post, Mrs. Clinton and the president, just to say goodbye and, you know, thank me for my service and so forth. And then I got a nice letter when I retired from the, for the president and stuff. So uh, that's pretty interesting. Wow, that is interesting. That is, yeah. that is really cool. Again, it's yeah. another moment that you were able to see someone's humanity outside of their title or their views or whatever that you it kind of again that's that's kind of the beauty too like um to kind of draw somewhat of a a comparison here it's totally different but it's it's the same thing like when you go on a mission trip and you know it's it's you're next to somebody that you probably should not be not should not be but are typically not next to in your daily life and you realize when you're when you're next to them or you're sharing a hug or you're sharing a prayer or, you know, you're going through similar things, even though there's nothing similar about you in certain ways, there's one thing that brings you together, which I think is just super neat when when you get to have that human experience here on Earth. So, well, you know, that's cool. You asked me about what it takes to get on the Secret Service. So for listeners that's out there that's interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, for fiscal year 2022, um, the Secret Service is looking to hire 455 Secret Service agents. Wow. They want to hire 275 uniform division officers, 
and they also have 255 civilian positions that they, they plan on hiring. So uh, you can go right to the Secret Service website and uh, and look at some of the job opportunities. And who knows? Um, it, it's, it's, if you're looking for something steady yeah. and stable uh, with great benefits, they don't have layoffs. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pay is pretty good and you get a chance to travel and see the world and stuff, you know. Uh, you know, think about it. You may not want to be an agent, but there's civilian positions that's available also. So definitely uh, they should take a look at it. And yeah. Stuff. Heck yeah. And you know. um, I'll make sure to provide that link um, when the episode releases. Um, for those of you guys who are listening, I'll make sure to put yeah. that, that link there so you can look at the job opportunities within Secret Service. I mean, this is making me want to be a part of it, but at the same time, I think I blew my cover by saying I have a big mouth. You know, one <laughs> one question I have in this, I mean, I could probably pick your brain forever, but I also sure. realize we have to land the plane here and like get on with our lives. But listen, you're amazing and I could talk to you all day. So you're, um, you have a like a really dynamic and amazing personality. Do you have to put that aside when you're in secret service. So like I'm thinking about me, I'm like, man, would they be able to handle sarcasm? But I'd probably have to rein in my sarcasm because I could flag people that I'm, you know, a little off. So I'm just saying like, do you kind of have to, to mute certain sides of yourself to be in a, cause in a, it's a serious role, like to be in secret service. So do you kind of have to like rein in a little bit on your personality or no? Well, first of all, to, to get me to do this podcast, you can see how much time and effort it took for me to do this. Mm-hmm. Agents are used to staying in the background. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's it. Yeah. Wherever your personality <laughs> is, you're in the, you're in the background. You're not, you're not trying to get into the, uh, the camera shots. Yeah. Uh, none of that. Yeah. No, you know, that you, job don't, you don't me. give, yeah, you don't give mm-hmm. interviews, uh, even though you're around the press all the time. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you're in the press detail, you you mingle with the the traveling press all the time. You become friends with them, um, but they don't violate that trust. They don't try to get you to give them quotes and and so forth. It's uh, it's it's everybody has to work together yeah. because the the bottom line is you're you're there to protect the president okay. and you're not there to embarrass him and stuff. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So if you have a big personality, Bye. you put it away. Okay. You don't, I'm laughing uh... because I'm thinking to myself, okay, Brooke, you could never be Secret Service, but maybe you could be President or Queen, and that's more like the, along the lines of my personality. So yeah. Thank you for yeah. for showing me that when I become president, I'll have trustworthy people in my life. But but you want to know something? This is this is really funny. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm not in awe of being around you know, like the president of the United States or yeah. prime ministers and stuff, but a mutual friend, Marcus Allen. Yes. Okay, I was actually so in awe. I mean, here's the thing, you know, I followed his career in, in college and stuff and then into the pros and stuff. And, you know, and, you know, when they won the Super Bowl and he had that great run and stuff, mm-hmm. never mind what his dream did I ever think that I would end up meeting him and become friends with him. Same. <laughs> okay. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yes. That is so crazy. And the thing is, is that I was in awe of him, but he wants to talk about secret service. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you're Marcus Allen, man. Yeah. You know, oh, you yeah. won the Heisman, you won the Super Bowl, you know. And every time I would come to L.A., because when I was on Reagan's Detail, we spent a lot of time in California. And I met Marcus through a mutual friend of mine of ours and we became such good friends that when I would come to LA, if he was, it was off season, he would say, Hey man, I'll pick you up at the airport. I said, dude, you don't, you don't have to do that. I mean, come on, man, you're Marcus Allen. You're going to pick me up at the airport. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, 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 you know, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, I'd go to the practice and stuff. I remember he, I met Howie Long and stuff and Howie Long said, Hey, you know, how much do you get paid to be a bullet? He called me a bullet catcher. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I told him how much I would get paid back then. He goes, "That's all, yeah, man. Ain't no way I'd be a bully catcher and they only give him that much money and stuff." And I'm like, "Dude, you're like Howie Long. I mean, I'm in a Rangers locker room. I mean, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to Marcus's wedding. I mean, this is it's crazy. Yeah, 
it is crazy. crazy. It's well, so you're saying you're saying that, and I mean, I'm in my 20s, so like I wasn't even thought about whenever Marcus was like thriving in his career, and yeah. you know, I'm watching like the the. NFL Hall of Fame induction and, and watching different things on the NFL and to see Marcus Allen's picture up there or to see his highlights on ESPN and you know they're still talking about him I'm like this dude you know is your friend and you weren't even thought about so like there are just like so such cool moments in our life that we get to kind of look back and go wow I could not have planned that for myself and then when he um, introduced us to one another I was like I'm basically talking to the president like I mean, <laughs> so it's just really cool and it's it's really great to to hear you know kind of how you are connected to marcus and how um just what you did um for our country so we just we thank you um you know i would have never known you know the intricacies of this job had i not met you um because they don't talk about this stuff you know in school i mean we, we talk about the highlights of you know history but as far as like knowing the ins and outs of something like this i'm just so grateful and blessed that you came on this show um despite the the fact that um you're not like oh put me in front of the mic you know type personality that you still came on and shared your story um with this i i do have um, a couple rapid fire questions before sure. I get to your write it down. One is, and this one is not as like light. The rest will be, I mean, it's not heavy either, but if you were president of the United States, who would you want to be the head of your secret service? Okay. So the guy that I admire so much when I was in secret service, his name was Lou Bertoletti. Mm -hmm. And Lou was my team leader when I was on the cat team. And Lou subsequently became the director of the Secret Service. So, you know, to be appointed by the president to be the director. And Lou would be my guy. I, you know, I look up to him to this day hmm. as uh, somebody that I, I, I just admire. I admire him. I admire the way he treated everybody. Hmm. You know, no ego, very humble and stuff, but, you know, very powerful man. So I would say Lou Merletti. Love that. That's awesome. All right. couple more questions. If you are getting a cupcake at a birthday party, would you uh, go for the icing part or more of the cake? Are you like you wipe the icing off, eat the cake? Or are you like, ah, I could do without the cake. I'd eat the icing. The cake. Oh, come on. The cake. Really? Yes. Well, that would work if we went to the same birthday party because I would just take your icing. I always like I, I judge I judge people at birthdays, the ones that scrape off their icing. I'm like, that's the best part. Can I have it? Is that weird? But anyways, okay, got it. So you're a cake guy. All right, chocolate yes. covered strawberries or cheesecake? Cheesecake. Oh, same. Good. All right. Um, facial hair or no facial hair? Oh. No facial hair. <laughs> I love the, I love the thought. I although <laughs> if I can remember correctly, you did have some facial hair in um one of the videos and pictures that I've seen of you your time in the Secret Service. Did you have a stash? Was that a stash? Yes, I had, I had a stash. Your name was Reggie Ball, and you had a stash protecting yes. the President of the United States. That's a bad man yes. right there. Dang. Okay. Yes. When you say facial hair, I thought you meant like a beard. No, like, but that's yeah. I get it. I get it. I understand. Okay. okay. Last last one. Would you prefer to bake or cook? Ooh. Uh, bake. Yes. I'm the same. I, I love Great British Bake Off. I love watching baking shows. It's a science. Baking is a science. Yeah. It's very, yes, very hard. Bake. Love it. Okay. Even, even though I don't even though I don't cook at all, but yeah. if I did. But if bake. you did, you'd pick baking. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. You're like, I do neither, but I'd pick baking. Okay, so we are at the point of the show where I ask each guest, give the audience something to write down, a nugget of wisdom. So Reggie Ball, what is your write it down? My write it down is a person does what they can until their destiny is revealed. Love it. Write it down reggie ball thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing all the ins and outs of your career and just encouraging us um to continue keep fighting to find our destiny listen thanks for having me and let me just say hello and tell my kids 
Alexis, Alexander, and Aaron, how much I love them, and uh, I'm proud of them. Oh, I love that. I know we didn't even get to tap into your your fatherly roles, but I appreciate you sharing everything um, that you shared with us about Secret Service and coming on the podcast today. Brooke, you take care of yourself, and uh, anytime you want me to come back, I, I'd, I'd love to come back again. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.